On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retained are retained. What fitting words are within our gospel for this Divine Mercy Sunday, the day on which we celebrate the infinite treasury of God's mercy, the way in which he continues to time and time again, though we fail again and again, that he bestows his mercy upon us. And in a very profound way, we also see the reality of the confessional clearly laid out in today's gospel. Because whenever Jesus says those words, whose sins you forgive are forgiven then, and whose sins you retained are retained, those words, he passes on to his, to his disciples the thing that most scandalized the Pharisees and the scribes. What is it that Jesus again and again does that they again and again point out you can't do because you're not God? It is the forgiveness of sins. Who but God can forgive sins? They repeat again and again. And people today still question, well, can't I just go straight to God? People still question. Our Protestant brethren say, it's foolish for us to put ourselves in such a position, for a priest to say that he should forgive sins. But the power of this today's gospel is that Jesus clearly lays this responsibility upon his disciples, who's today, who today successors are the bishops, first and foremost, but then also priests, who are their cooperators. The power to forgive sins. It is the thing that was most controversial about Jesus' ministry, but it is also the thing that is most powerful for us, the most important aspect for us, that he forgives us. He forgives you, he forgives me. That is the power of what has happened over the past, well, now about 50, 60 days, since the beginning of Lent. Jesus did all of it for you. He came into this world as a little child, a vulnerable babe, for you. He lived in obscurity for 30 years, 
for you. He ministered, tried to teach his disciples and the many people that came to him, although often they misunderstood, couldn't grasp, and were ungrateful for you. And then finally, during the Triduum, during the feast, those three days, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday, he gave us his body and blood as a continuing presence, his abiding presence among us. He gave us the priesthood so we can continue to receive his body and blood, that he would remain with us always in the tabernacle and upon his altars wherever a priest would offer that sacrifice. But then also, by his death on the cross, he passed on to his priests that infinite treasury of divine mercy. That one drop of blood that he shed was enough to save the world 10,000 times over, but he shed all of it for us. Again and again, God shows us his infinite, boundless mercy, his desire to reconcile us to himself. He did it for us. He died for you. He suffered for you. But then also during the season of Easter, in glory, he also did for you. In glory, he rose so that you might be raised in glory. He did it for you. So we might no longer be slaves, but instead friends, which is ultimately what mercy is about. Because I think so often we treat mercy as this reality in which the slate is wiped clean. The washing machine, get in, get out, and just go back to life as normal. But mercy within the confessional, mercy at any stage in our life, always has to be approached differently. Let's use an extreme example. For example, if there is a marriage in which one of the spouses is unfaithful, and although the spouses may forgive one another, they may reconcile, do you think the other spouse forgives with the expectation they're just going to go back to the same thing they've been doing? No, of course not. There's an expectation that they will act differently in the future, that they're going to reform their behavior, that they are going to begin acting differently. That is, basically acting as the wise men do at the beginning of the Gospel narratives, going home by a different way. After encountering the mercy of Jesus Christ in the confessional, after receiving his mercy there, it's not enough just simply to go, but instead, we also need to be grateful, first and foremost, and secondly, we need to reform our lives. Three necessary elements you always need to bring to the confessional. One, contrition. You need to actually be sorry for your sins. What you confess, you actually need to be sorry for. You actually need to mean that you are sorry that you have committed it. If not for God's sake, at least for your own. Secondly, you need to actually confess your sins, your mortal sins. Those sins which weigh you down and have caused death to your soul. Those actually need to be confessed, spoken out loud, and for them to be obliterated forgotten by God. Then thirdly, a piece that we always need to remember, a firm purpose of amendment. We need to intend to avoid these sins in the future. It's not enough to simply be sorry. It's not enough to simply confess them. We also need to then act differently, to have a game plan, to go home by a different way. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. I think wherever those words retained, while sometimes there are necessary elements within confession, which a priest may have to withhold absolution, it is because of one of those things. 
a refusal to be sorry. I'm not really sorry that I did it, but I'm just confessing it. I don't really intend to change my way of living. I don't intend to avoid that sin. Those are the things that causes forgiveness to be withheld. Not because of God, because of us. Our disposition, which is unable to see the harm we have done to him, we've done to ourselves, we've done to those around us. Mercy is poured out in abundance. God is generous to us in that regard. But how dare we simply take advantage of it? How dare we exploit it? It comes with the expectation, and it should, because he loves us. His mercy is filled with hope. Not just simply wipe away clean, know you'll be back for the same thing. Instead, I want to give you hope. He wants to give you hope that you can overcome your sins. Your life can be reformed. You can be different than you are now. You can be a saint. You can be different. You can mean more and be more. So the expectation is not contradictory to God's mercy or his unconditional love, but instead is a necessary element of it. Because with his unconditional love, he wants us to be better than we currently are. And we should want the same thing for ourselves. You see, God loves you that much. He did it all for you. Not just simply so he could again and again wipe the slate clean, balance out the debt, but instead so that you might become more, that you might go home by a different way. But if you're always kind of short with your spouse, that perhaps you develop a game plan to, instead of responding with a little muttered cruelty, a cold shoulder, but instead responding with words of kindness. Thank you for trying. I love you. A peck on the cheek. If it's perhaps a struggle with the dark side of the internet, perhaps I'm actually going to finally bring that struggle to someone, ask them for help. Maybe do away with some devices that have led me into that sin. Or perhaps if it's a struggle with actually making the mass every Sunday, I'm going to put it on my calendar. I'm not just simply going to try to get to it. I'm going to actually try to do it every single week, and it's going to be on my Google calendar, my calendar in my kitchen, my office, whatever you use. We're going to go about it in a different way. We're going to show that firm purpose of women, not just with intentions, but instead with actual concrete action, with actual things that can be seen, measured. That is the way by which we do indeed begin to reform our lives. God's mercy was given to us to not just simply balance it out, keep everything as the status quo. It was given to us so we might share in the glory of the children of God, that we might become more than we currently are, that we might become the saints he is calling us to be. So go home by a different way. Do not leave this church today without making a resolution to overcome a particular sin you've been struggling with, to go about it a different way to go home by a different way so that you might just not encounter Christ here and now or in the confession, but instead you might allow him and his blessed mother to walk with you every step of the journey as we try to live in the glory of the children of God.